Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and my guest today is Alvin Crawford. He is the Chief Revenue Officer for Revolution Foods. Uh, Alvin, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I know you're out in California this morning, so it's an early morning. Thank you for, for waking up and being ready. It's a pleasure to be here, Todd. Thank you for having me. Well, today our topic is one of uh, my favorite topics, generally speaking, and that is the, of, uh, the topic of food. And we're going to talk about how it relates to uh, K-12 education and how Revolution Foods is playing a new exciting role. I see on your website, you guys proudly boast of serving over 500 meals to students across the country. Uh, that is a good bit of grub you guys are dishing out to students in your regions uh, for Revolution Foods. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, actually, we should update that quote. We have done over 500 million meals. And in fact, for the first 14 years of Revolution Foods, we were doing primarily all of it to K-12 students. And uh, during the pandemic, we actually have also been delivering uh, to adults as well. So food insecure adults, probably about 30 million of those meals this past year as well. Uh you know, one of the things I love about education is you, you never stop learning about the intricacies of American K-12 education. And it's complicated, right? I mean, you have technology issues that are always um, popping up. Um, new technologies are coming to play that you have to learn about. Uh, funding streams are constantly uh, a new area where you have to understand where that money's coming from, state and, and federal and through grants. There, there's social emotional learning. There is critical race theory versus diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then you have <laughs> special education, which is you could talk about that for for months and not really even touch upon the depth and breadth of that topic. Uh, but the most basic thing for a student, really, none of that matters if they come to school hungry. Isn't that right? That's absolutely true. Um, if you think of the Maslow's hierarchy and basic needs. Uh, food is a critical piece, and a lot of students struggle with access to food. Um, you know, it's it's easier uh, when they're younger to access uh, food, but then when you get to middle and high school, it's more complicated because you don't want to be perceived as needing food, which means often kids don't report or show up uh, in the later years, and yet they're still hungry. And hunger is is a real issue for way too many Americans. For sure. You know, I think of, I always talk about on this podcast, you know, our first glimpse at American education on TV in the 70s was Little House on the Prairie. And the girls would show up with a, I think they had a bucket for of food that they would take to school. Uh, and, and they would go home at three and probably eat and go do chores and stuff. And that's sort of the way that the American education system sort of started. We're still on the same calendar, but when did we start feeding students? Um, I think the first thing we started doing was lunch. And then I believe in my time growing up, there were the, the debates about breakfast in the morning for students as well. How, how did this, how did we get to where we are in American education with regards to deciding on, on, on providing meals? Do you know, I, I'm trying to remember the, the full history, but if you look back at, at actually the, the Black Panthers, uh, they were actually feeding kids in Oakland food. Um, and I'm not sure whether that was a, a that was pre or, or post, but in that area, I think we've had the free and produced lunch program for 40 or 50 years. Um, 
then that became a government function, which is critically important uh, because really a majority of kids uh, need food. Uh, a lot of kids don't don't get breakfast and lunch at, at home. And so there is a need to have uh, food within the schools. Uh, and in fact, that is continuing to grow. Uh, uh, they've just expanded um, school lunch programs uh, down two grades to the early pre-K uh, and then expanded it into to community colleges. So um, we continue to expand uh, the access that's needed for food. And in, in fact, during the pandemic, uh, what became clear uh, that I think we already knew was that food insecurity is, is incredibly high. In fact, 50% of families of color have had to make a decision as to whether to eat food or, or to, to get food for their kids or to pay a bill um, in, the, in the past week that the study was done. And so if you think about how many people lack access to food and how that impacts kids uh, who are, are trying to learn. It's, it's, it's sad and incredibly powerful. One of the things that I learned uh, about food and its role in the K-12 system this last summer was that uh, a school that I, I've, I work with in Annapolis, they were, they were not shutting down during the summertime. They realized that the food needs of their families was such that they had to open up the school uh, to, to deliver food. And literally, because there's such a broad, it's a broad range of in the, within the district that they, they pull from, they were going to little regional locations and handing out food every single day during the summer when they were not in operation, either because they just weren't because it was the summer or because everybody was shut down because of COVID. I really opened my eyes to the role that these schools are now playing with regards to that most basic need. Well, honestly, during the pandemic, it became incredibly clear that that access to food was really a, a school function. And so uh, I think they say that, that less than 20% of the kids who are on free and reduced lunch uh, are fed uh, food during summertime. And so Right now, with a lot of the waivers that have happened since the pandemic, um, they are pushing more and more uh, for kids to have access to food. And in fact, uh, the Biden administration increased uh, benefits uh, for families uh, with something called SNAP EBT. So there's also putting money on cards to have parents go get food as well. So it is it is a real important part of the fabric of this country, which is is making sure that people eat. So before we dive into Revolution Foods, how how good is the food that these kids are getting uh, in the free and reduced lunch program? Uh, I don't specifically, I don't need to give you, I need, I don't need you to give me, you know, um, minutia here, but just generally speaking, it's ne it's never been something that we've been really bragged about in America how good the food we we serve in schools is. The reality with K twelve food, just like any other large uh, uh, financial uh, pot of money is that uh, there are a lot of people biting at it. So there are, um, there is a tendency to have really unhealthy processed food within school systems. And in fact, uh, that was the, the start of Revolution Foods was, was uh, two moms that just said, we need better, healthier food for kids. And so there are a lot of school systems that don't focus uh, on quality of food. They just focus on getting food out. And that is uh, unfortunate because as we saw with the pandemic, uh, 
what you eat matters. And so the comorbidities and the food insecurity uh, was, uh, or, or the, the illness uh, was driven by folks who had comorbidities like diabetes and, and overweight. Uh, those are things that we can fix if we have better access to food. Well, I haven't heard a lot of our brave politicians from either party uh, talking about the need for nutrition. I think that that is a wide open space for any leader who wants to talk about how we can improve on the what we eat. Because as you just mentioned, it really was the number one indicator of, of who suffered the most during the pandemic. Well, I will say that there was recently uh, a bill that was put on the floor, it was put on, on by Bernie Sanders, and it was uh, about healthy food. And so under the Obama administration, Michelle Obama led the Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act, which uh, gave a higher reimbursement for healthier food. Uh, that still exists, but uh, I think the, the push of this latest legislation was to add um, uh, significant dollars for any school districts that were putting healthier food uh, on on the table for kids. So, so you mentioned you mentioned your two founders, two moms who just basically thought there would be a better there had to be a better way. Tell me a little bit about the founding of 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 the foundation. So what's incredible, and we have two incredible founders, Christine and, and Kier, uh, who. Uh, both were at, at Berkeley in business school and, and there they both had this idea. They'd both done trips to, to Africa, um, volunteering, and both recognized the importance of food and how bad uh, food was in, in K-12. And so um, they were somehow connected together during kind of business planning. And then they came up with Revolution Foods, raised raise some money, but the, 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 the important uh, thing for them was that everyone should have access to healthy food. And in K-12, it just felt like it was a shame that kids were getting food, but not healthy food. So um, their push and our mission is really all about making sure that people have healthy, culturally responsive uh, food. Uh, so where are you located? So our the headquarters is in Oakland. We've got about eight culinary centers across the country and really probably serve about through our trucks and distribution about 65% of families in, in the country. Now, that doesn't mean we serve all 65, but we drive by. Um, and so we're pretty much a, a available to sort folks throughout the country. So you have a you have a culinary uh office here in Maryland, I believe, or just uh, inside the district. So walk, walk me through that. How big is that? How many people do you employ? And how many students are you serving just in that one spot? Sure. So we, we have, again, the eight culinary centers, we probably employ about 1500 uh, employees around the country. Uh, actually, we were rated by Michael Porter uh, as being one of the top inner city uh job creators uh, two years in a row. So we do a lot of work uh, in the community. In fact, a lot of our employees have kids in, in, in the systems that we serve. Uh, and you know, on an annual basis, we probably do about 65 million meals. Uh, how that translates to the number of kids, not exactly sure of the specific <laughs> number, right. but, but we're serving about 4,400 uh, schools around the country. And are districts reaching out to you or you're reaching out to them or, or perhaps it's both? 
Well, I'll say as chief revenue officer, I'd say it would be great if districts would just pick up the phone and call us. Uh, we do okay. get inbound, but we also go outbound as well. I mean, the reality is that um, we started in, in the charter school space uh, and have grown out from there. Actually, in Boston, the, the parents uh, reached out and said, we need better food. And, and so uh, it, it tends to be a combination of, of superintendents that really care about kids, uh, food service directors who know the importance of eating healthy, uh, and parents and teachers who hear about healthy food and want um, something better than what's happening in the school system. You mentioned that the food is culturally aligned. Talk about how that works. I love this aspect of what you do. Sure. There, uh, there are a couple of different angles that you think about. First of all, uh, if you're creating an environment that's safe and loving, you really need to help kids relate to their experience. And so um, we, as part of uh, the way that we do food and create it, is that we have something called Project Crave. Our chefs actually go out to schools and ask kids what they eat, what do they eat at home, what do they like to eat. Uh, and then we come back with uh, dishes that uh, that uh, they can relate to. So in Mattapan, which is a part of, of, of Boston, uh, we worked with kids to create a jerk chicken with pineapple carrot rice uh, that they love. We, we actually built a uh, soy chorizo um, uh, a meat patty as well something uh, that was done there. Um, we've got pupusas, we have uh, uh, a Mongolian beef, we have lots of different dishes uh, that represent the kids all over uh, the system. So we feel that that's an important piece. We also feel it's important from a cross-culture perspective for kids to be able to to try new things and to, to be able to celebrate other folks. And so if you think of cultural responsibility and, and cultural responsiveness, feeding folks and making sure that they feel good about the food and that they have agency. I think agency is really important for youngsters. So the ability to actually see themselves in the food uh, and to, to be able to uh, say, I'd like to have this, and then to see that show up in, in their school lunchroom is, is pretty powerful. That's, I, you know, I grew up uh, around a lot of Mexican kids in California. Ergo, I was in a lot of homes watching them uh, make enchiladas. I think I, I remember vividly my first enchilada. And I, I, I don't remember saying this out loud, but I must have thought uh, people that can do this, are, that's the people I need to know a little bit more about, right? And I think I think your students um, are, when, when, you, when you try jerk chicken for the first time, how can you not love that, it, no matter right. where you're from, but it also is a, probably a point of pride for the students who come from that region and see their uh, their their fellow students enjoying it, though they may not have ever had it before. It, it is, like you say, a cross-cultural positive that you probably didn't think about when you first started doing this. It's, it's powerful. I, and I'm blessed yeah. to have, have come into the organization where this was already being done. It's just what's what's cool about it is is that thinking about the importance of food and actually the importance of food on the impact of 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 learning is is also pretty powerful so we have uh, we're fortunate enough to have a couple of studies that were done independently um one by the keller foundation and we looked they looked at Rev revolution foods uh schools versus control schools in in three states and found that our ELA scores were 13% higher um, 
in our schools versus other schools. And, you know, I think it's a combination of things, but I think one, eating healthy, and, and we often have high participation of kids eating, uh, is, is obviously something that helps clear your brain and, and, and allow you to focus. But I also think that uh, school districts that choose healthy food for their kids care about their kids. And I think that's an important point as well, which is that um, this whole education thing is about making sure that there's a safe place where kids can learn and that that, uh, that teachers and administrators actually care about kids from both a, a personal uh, and educational outcome perspective. You, you talked about the Biden administration's um, focus on, on better food. How, how do you compare? I mean, why does a district... Um, how do they pay for your service? I'm guessing you're a little more expensive because of the quality of the food than they would normally get through whomever they contract with in a regular K-12 meal. How does that all go down? I'm glad you asked that question. That is exactly right. So, so school districts are reimbursed by the, the USDA for serving meals. Uh, and it's really about this free and reduced lunch kids, which is really high poverty, uh, low poverty, but poverty uh, uh, still. And in the way that it works, uh, I think they get uh, 425 per supper uh, and uh, uh, $2 or something, some, something in, in that for lunch. We are more expensive than, than uh, a poor quality. Uh, we have a clean label supply chain, which means we've built this supply chain that, that doesn't have preservatives, doesn't have um, high fructose corn syrup, doesn't have any of the bad things, nitrates, uh, nitrites, none of that. And so um, we are going to be a little more expensive, but I think where it works out nicely is that you don't get paid by what you make, you get paid by what kids eat. And we tend to have much higher participation. So even though we are more expensive item, more kids are consuming our food. And that means better reimbursements for the districts uh, and charters that we work with. So does that help a little bit? It, it is. Uh, it absolutely does. <laughs> so so wh where does a district find that money in a time? Uh, historically, uh, I've heard probably a million superintendents tell me they are, are broke. I, I think we have a, an influx of money right now uh, that may not last forever, as we know in education. So where do they find uh, a ways to make up the, the differential in, in cost? Well, again, we're still under reimbursement. So reimbursement okay. is, is what they're getting back. And I think my point is really more, if you're a self-operating school district, you're making food and you're hoping that kids eat it because if they don't eat it, you don't get any money back from the US government. So you only get, you only get money back for what kids consume. And so all of this is, let's be under reimbursement, uh, but then it's also, let's make sure it's food that kids love so that we get reimbursed for more of the food that we actually made or ordered. Does that for most, make Yes, it does. Yeah. So for most okay. schools that you work with, do they basically farm this out to you completely or is it a, a mix of regular kitchen uh, staff and also you guys? So generally it is a mix and we, we really are a food product company. So most of what we do is provide the food, they heat it and serve it. Uh, mm -hmm. In general, uh, we yep. sometimes will work with partners to to have servers and do some of that. But we are really providing plated food, uh, which is wonderful. So we're collaborating with most of the districts we work with. And places like San Francisco and Boston, there's a mix of 
self-operated and our food together. So it's it's a nice partnership. What is your growth strategy? And I, I assume that if you're, let's just, I'm taking it as an example, if you're not in Chicago already, um, but if Chicago public schools said, we'd like to work with you, you'd magically start an operation in Chicago. Is that is that how you grow? Or are you more intentional with regards to picking spots and going there? Uh, it's probably a combination of, of both. We We see markets in terms of opportunity, but we also don't build centers without having clients in place. Yep. So so we do a little bit of both. And I will actually tell you that that this year, this past year with the pandemic, we grew in, in different ways. So obviously we served lots of kids during the pandemic by doing box meals that are sent home uh, to, to kids throughout the, the country. But we also recognized during the pandemic that there were a lot of adults that weren't eating uh, and certainly weren't eating healthy as well. And so we actually have served about 30 million adult meals since the pandemic and continue to serve both adults and children. So adults that are food insecure, for example, in Alameda County, uh, right outside of Oakland, we're, or, oh, where Oakland is, we're, we're actually delivering meals to parents as they pick up meals for their kids as well. So that's funded by Alameda County. And obviously Oakland Unified is providing the K-12 meals. So it, it's just fascinating, one, how how important and how the need is so big um, for better, healthier food. If you think about uh, a lot of impoverished communities, it's hard to get fresh fruit and vegetables if you're living in, in a uh, in a food desert. So we're uh, there to help out. And certainly if you go to Whole Foods, you can buy fruit and vegetables, but you got to get there and then you're going to pay a lot of money for it. So getting access to high quality um, fruit and vegetables and, and healthy food is, 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 is a really important thing around the country. And are you a proper foundation? Do you receive uh, foundational grants? How do you, uh, how do you go about that part of the business? So we're a for-profit uh, uh, business where we say no, no margin, no mission, but uh, there are a lot of uh, folks we work with that, uh, that create grants. We work with a, a, a fund called, uh, through multiplier but it's a fund where people who want to give money to feed families uh, can certainly give there uh, and we are the recipient of, of the, those dollars to provide uh, food and we worked a lot with world central kitchen uh, and jose andres uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to to feed a lot of families around the country as well so we work with a lot of people i think our sphere is a, is about serving um kids and families we just happen to be a, a b corp uh in doing that but yep. uh so that's a mission driven company uh but we're we're partnering with lots of people who are trying to solve problems like we are well alvin we try to share this with as many superintendents around the country i suppose that we are going to hit upon a few that would like to know more how how would folks get a hold of you if they need to get a hold of you and the folks uh, at revolution foods Sure. Uh, my email is, is pretty simple. It's a Crawford, just like Joan or Cindy, uh, at revolutionfoods.com. So they can always reach out to me on email. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Alvin Crawford, uh, but uh, happy to share what I know. And, and we're about serving kids. So thank you. Thank you, Alvin. You are now off the clock. I really appreciate you being on the show. We'll talk soon. You got it, Todd. Thank you. Thank Talk you. Soon. Thanks for having me.
If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas-Lamb, signing off.